thank you for uh, joining us this morning and um, I wish you all well and uh, actually I wish you all well and your happiness and stay safe. You know, in talking with people, do they know that we're sitting like this? Did you show them? No. Oh, in this room we're sitting one, two, three, four, five people and myself in our zendo can you see the behind me is the altar and outside is um <laughs> i don't have words for what's outside you have to come see for yourself what's outside okay i've been talking to um many people through zoom lately and um you know for the most part i have to say this community is so sincere the people are so um open and honest and willing and practicing and clear and there's some pain as always you know there's some pain um, but the effort to understand that pain and the effort to um, stay connected and and touch into what is the deepest in them is um, so heartening and so profound such a profound and encouraging um, way of talking way of listening really I'm doing a lot of listening more listening than talking there are a few themes that have come up in the talking that I've been doing with people. And um, one of them is this, uh, certainly this recognition of what we're all going through, this um, human catastrophe. We're actually living through a very um, catastrophic time as individuals and as human beings and uh, a world community, which I think we all now feel, just not a bad thing. And that, that's another thing that has come up, that what's happening now, horrific though it is, and um, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but I think it's real, that there will be many people suffering through this, both in terms of health and in terms of uh, financial disruption and uh, living situations and family separations and so on. There are some, uh, as always, in everything in the, in the, if I may use the word, in the form world or in the world of relativity, there are always two sides to everything. So while we, are moving through this rather um, chaotic in some way, although fundamentally I don't think so, time, there are also wonderful things that are appearing. I just read the other day that, <laughs> this is kind of funny, I think it's funny, but it's wonderful also that um, all of the shows on TV that are involved with um, medical dramas are sending their masks and safety things and gowns and everything else i guess not ventilators because they're fake right? 
to hospitals that are dealing with the coronavirus uh, epidemic, pandemic now. And another wonderful thing actually that has happened, I think for people, is it's very clear what people's priorities are. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I just was speaking with someone today who was saying that um, she's with her family, she's not with her family, she's videoing with her family. And she said, you know, she, she, she uh, noticed her mind bringing up some judgments about her family. And immediately she was thinking, really? You know, is that the most important thing that I can offer in this situation? And she um, noticed that and uh, processed that and set that aside so she could be connected with her family, which I think is a common and deeply human, uh, um, I, I'm taught, my mind was tossing between need and want, right? So we, we want to be connected in the, in the deepest way and we need, I think, in a healthy response to this event to feel connected and that we belong with other people. It's very human. And this sense of connection, you know, is, well, here we go on a tangent. <laughs> this sense of connection is, um, disconnection is the fundamental suffering of, of, uh, of what we are. So in the deepest way, we, it's not even like we're connected. We are this one wholeness that is, right now manifesting the coronavirus, but also manifesting each of us in our particularity. So in the deepest way, we are both, when we have a, you know, the hardest, most attached way of being a self, an, an egoic process, the more uh, clingy we are to that delusion, the more separate we feel, the more pain we're in, and the more pain we, we cause, to other people. Um, and to me, that's a tragedy. You know, the people who cause the most harm are the people who feel the most separate from other, from life, from life. So I would suggest and I would encourage everybody in our community to continue to make an effort to stay connected to, if you want to, I, I understand BCC is having a morning and evening sittings, do that. Um, the monastery here is sending out live the well-being ceremony that we do for lunch. You can listen to that and send a name if there's somebody in particular you want to uh, hold in that way. I understand classes are continuing. Laura did a class virtually last night. And groups are also continuing. And you can form your own groups as well. Or, or dyad, you know, maybe there's a practice buddy that you want to uh, stay connected with. But I think the most important thing is to feel like you're held in community. Uh, so I encourage you to do that. So we are uh, going through a time of um, 
see. Uh, I was going to say instability. Yes, instability, but underneath the instability, deeper than instability, we're going through a time of groundlessness that we're actually able to um, touch into one of the deepest truths of, of Buddhism, which is to say that underneath this wholeness, this manifestation of emptiness, is this groundlessness that we are now in touch with. We're not in control. There's no place that is stable to stand. Everything is changing. And some people have some anxiety about that. Some people are frightened that that's the truth of things. So for people who feel that way, I have a suggestion, a little bit of a suggestion. Because um, anxiety and fear primarily is the mind throwing itself into the future, which doesn't exist. So we imagine, if, if your tendency is to imagine hell realms, then you will imagine a future that looks like that. Um, I would suggest that the most skillful thing to do in that case is to bring your mind back to the present moment, which for right now is just right here, listening to this talk, wherever you are seems to be safe. And uh, allow yourself to be held in that groundedness. Whenever you feel yourself or your mind floating away into an imagined future, bring it back to reality. And the reality is right now um, one that probably most of us don't particularly want, but because it is this way, it's actually okay. Because it is this way, it's okay. And if we resist the way things have come to be, that resistance will drive us into suffering. Whatever it is that we resist gets stronger and is a failure. You know, resisting reality is a mistake <laughs> because reality will win. No matter what that reality is, it's safer and better to open to what actually is happening with as clear a mind as you can possibly muster. And it's from there that we respond to the world. I was sharing with uh, Ryan, my Jisha here, that I learned how to live with Katagiri, my teacher, um, who died in 89, 1989. And I was his Jisha. And um, yeah. 
It's very interesting to be with someone who is free, has a mind who, that is free, because um, life was very simple for him, as it is. I mean, that is the truth of it. He was here, present, and took care of whatever needed to be taken care of here. And then, because everything changes, <laughs> something else happened, and he took care of that. And if that's the way you live, life is very simple. And also, you can see clearly. If you live in the present moment and imagine that there is no future, you can actually see what is happening now and respond to whatever that is in the most skillful way unclouded by the projections or the needs or the confusion that the mind habitually um, uh, brings up because, now this is a little, I don't know, but anyway, the mind brings those habitual things up because it's the way the egoic, the habitual egoic process survives. It, 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 this is a really weird way of talking, but it, it thinks it needs to help. It thinks it needs it for you to survive. And so it brings up whatever, you know, strategy uh, you've been conditioned to use. So you can't see clearly that you're only seeing yourself that way. And that's where most people live. Most people are seeing themselves. <laughs> all the time. Well, in some way, we all see ourselves all the time because um, Yeah, so the most important thing I think now is, is that we understand that we are all right now living in a monastery. Not just the people who are here, but also you guys in the computer <laughs> over there. <laughs> because you're cloistered in your apartment or your home or your family or whatever it is, wherever it is you are, you're staying there. That's it for we don't even know how long. <laughs> and so the people I'm talking with um, kind of understand that. I don't think they necessarily use that language, but that is what's happening. And when we are in a monastic situation, it's all set up, the whole monastery is set up so that you are looking at your mind. And that's what people are doing. They are really massively practicing with what's going up, up on up here. And this is a good thing, I think. And if you need help and support in doing that, call. You know, there's a um, number of people available for practice discussion. You can call. But that's what's happening. So um, I brought a quote from the Buddha, which I will read to you. It's the first verse of the Dhammapada. Anybody, you know the Dhammapada? Dhammapada? It's the most famous book, the most popular Buddhist book. 
historically in Asian countries. They're just sayings of the Buddha. Um, simple, easy sayings to understand. And this is the first one. I'm going to read it to you. All experience is preceded by mind. Led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a deluded mind and suffering follows as the cartwheel follows the ox. All experience is preceded by mind led by mind, made by mind, speak or act with a peaceful mind, and happiness follows like a never departing shadow. I'll read it again. All, because we don't believe this, even though it's simple <laughs> and it's clear as a bell, we don't believe it. But it's true. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a deluded mind, and suffering follows as the cartwheel follows the ox. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a peaceful mind and happiness follows like a never-departing shadow. So, given that we are in a situation that's completely groundless, in which we have no control, the first thing to do is to surrender to that truth and not resist what's happening. And then address the mind. Because that is, that is what will color your experience. That is what will create, color your experience and will produce the either the response or the reactivity that comes from that mind. So, in a monastery, one of the things that's interesting is that if you walk around with a mind that's basically quiet, there's no problem in a monastery. You just do the schedule. It's kind of easy. Somebody cooks for you. You eat. You work. You take care of what needs to be taken care of. You go to sleep. You sit a lot. You go to sleep. And there's no resistance. There's no, I want to do this. I don't want to do this. We should do this. We should do it this way or not this way. Who am I? Does that person like me? Should I sit next to them or not? Will they talk to me? All of that stuff is just quiet. The self-talk is not happening. So we're all now in this monastic situation and have this great opportunity finally in a very real way to, um, I was going to say, take we say take refuge, and it's also we receive refuge. I'd like right now to say we receive refuge because it's the, to me, it's the only refuge there is. We say it every morning 
We take refuge in Buddha. We take refuge in the mind of awakening. We take refuge in the mind of awakening that manifests in the world as love. We are held in that love, whether we know it or not. That is the nature, the deepest nature of our own mind is that vast knowing quality and the manifestation of that vast knowing quality as love in the world. That's why when we live that way, we live as bodhisattvas. So we take refuge in Buddha, we take refuge in our own mind, the big mind, the Buddha mind. We receive that refuge from the truth of big mind, which is here all the time. We receive that love, whether we know it or not. We don't need to be any particular way to receive that love. It's unconditioned love. The nature of that love does not prefer a daisy to a rose. So we receive that love and we take refuge in that love. We receive the mind of awakening that doesn't judge, that simply knows what is happening. And we take refuge in that mind. We can, we can relax into that spacious knowing quality, into that heart. In fact, even now, let your attention drop from your mind and just let it fall down into the area of the heart. Some people have trouble with that because their heart is a little bit uh, protected. That's okay. Mine was that way for a very long time. But still, let your attention fall down into the heart chakra area. And just allow yourself to receive this unconditioned love that is our deepest nature. This is what it means to take refuge in Buddha. And the first place that that love settles is yourself. As whatever kind of individual manifestation you happen to be, no matter what, you are unconditionally loved. And you can, you can feel that in the heart. And then we take refuge in the Dharma. And you know, having a, a kind of a crisis like this is um, 
helps us see the reality, the truth of the Dharma so clearly, right? The first, the first, one of the first things anyway, is that everything changes. I mean, two weeks ago, <laughs> two weeks ago, I was talking to you from BZC, everything seemed to be fine. And now so much has changed. We're all sequestered in our own little area and the world is receiving this pandemic that will cause so many people such uh, pain and suffering. Everything changes. And like I said in the beginning, we must, and I, I say must, we must stay on the page where your life is actually happening. If you don't do that, it's a catastrophe. Stay on the page where your life is actually happening. From there, we have a chance to see clearly. And you can be with the changes that are happening like a river. You know, if we are resisting this change, if we don't stay on the place where our life is actually happening, which is in this river of change, and we take a stick and drive it you know, somewhere into the river, thinking that we're, okay, now we have some control. I am going to make this situation safe for me and everybody and then we have some control. No. The water of this impermanence will just sweep you away at some point. So instead of like making a stick in the river, we want to be able to be able to float on the waves of these changes. And in order to do that, we need to stay present. Otherwise, we have no chance. And another thing that we can see really clearly in the teaching is that everything is dependently arisen. Some man or woman decided to it would be a good idea to uh, buy and sell this beautiful little being, a pangolin, and caught a virus. And because of that, I have to stay here. <laughs> That's how connected we are. I want to say something about that because it's such a joke. It's a joke on myself because I'm talking about the mind. So I signed up, I signed up to come here as a volunteer. I wanted to support Greg and Laura and their work and practice and BCC. I wanted to meet BCC again and stuff like that. And it was kind of joyous. I was having joy. I was volunteering to come. And then everything changed. And because I am three at risk, I'm, I'm 76, I have asthma and I just had pneumonia six months ago. I can't leave, I actually have to stay here. So my mind went from, this is a joyous, you know, volunteer thing to, yeah, I'm stuck here, I can't go anywhere. For no reason, you know, it's just that's what the mind does. Anyway, we're all dependently, you know, arisen in, and we can see it really clearly. 
that's why we're, you know, that's why you can't find a me inside. There's nobody there. It's just a penalty co-risen, constantly changing uh, manifestation of this particularity for a very short time. And then we take refuge in Sangha. So I encourage you, like I just said before, stay connected. Rely on the Sangha. If you're in a position where you can support people, then support them. If you're in a position where you need support, call somebody. We can all get through this together. It's totally possible. And ultimately, it's totally okay. People um, on the internet are suggesting all kinds of things that you can do. And one of the things they suggest is uh, if you can't take a walk where there's a tree, you know, watch tree shows on the, on the, on the internet or if you have a TV. Take a class that you've always wanted to take that now you have time. <laughs> and now you have time for it. Follow the monastic schedule with us. You won't have any time at all. <laughs> <laughs> this is a poem about um, impermanence I want to read to you. It's from a new book called The First Free Women. It's a new translation of the Terragata, the, um, the poems of the of the women that we chant. And we chant the women ancestors. It's fabulous, a wonderful book. This one's about impermanence. I thought I'd read it to you. It's from Uttara, right? We chant Uttara? This is Uttara. She's kind of neat. And her teacher was Patachara. We chant Patachara, don't we? This is an introduction to both of them. This is Uttara talking. I asked Patachara, what is the path? Patachara said, just see all thoughts, words, and actions arising all by themselves, not from some imaginary point within. I only partly understood, but I took a seat. As the sun was setting, I saw the endless line of one thing leading to another that had brought me to the cushion that night. As the moon was coming up, I saw the arising and passing away of all things in every direction. As dawn was breaking, wisdom rose in the east and set fire to the long, dark night. But don't take my word for it. Set fire to the darkness within. I promise it's nothing you've ever seen. She was free. And I have another one. How are we doing? Almost done. Oh, we have time for questions. Good. This is from Mahapajapati. Chant Mahapajapati. Her name means protector of children. We need to read about these women. Yeah. This is us. These are us. 
This book, by the way, was translated by a man. And he was so kind. He um, asked a woman to kind of promote it because he was kind of shy. He didn't, he didn't think a guy should promote. I don't know. Anyway, that's what he thought. Sweet man. We should all get to know these women. They were, they were uh, cool. This is her poem. I know you all. I have been your mother, your son, your father, your daughter. You see me now in my final role. Kindly grandmother. It's a fine part to go out on. <laughs> you might have heard how it all began. When my sister died and I took her newborn son to raise as my own. People still ask, did you know then what he would become? What can I say? What mother doesn't see a Buddha in her child? He was such a quiet boy. The first time he reached for me, the first time I held him while he slept, how could I not know? To care for all children without exception, as though each will someday be the one to show us all the way home. This is the path. You know, I, I want, the reason I, I read this is not because I think we are all children, but inside, you know, we are children and we want to be loved and we want to be taken care of and we want to belong and we want to feel like we're okay and we want to be seen. And it's a human thing. And during this crisis, This is what I see happening, that people are taking care of other people, that we're not making judgments, that we're connecting in a way that's real and that we need. So I would encourage you to take refuge in our practice, take refuge in the mind that you have that is Buddha. Take refuge in the teachings because they're true and they're helpful. And take refuge in the Sangha because we're all in this together. And we need each other. And it's good. So anyone who has a question, you're welcome to unmute yourself and just introduce yourself and ask. Hi, Tia. Hi. Uh, it's EJ. Yes, I Hi. see you. Hi. Um, so my question is: earlier, you were you were about to mention that we kind of all see each other. You know, we, we're seeing ourselves and we see each other. And then you said you kind of said, "Oh, never mind. I don't want to get into that." And I was wondering if you remember what. You know, if you hadn't said never mind, what, what the... Yeah, because it's, uh, you know, what I was going to say is it's like, you know, we learn, this is about, the, I was talking about dependent co-arising. Um, when we learn dependent co-arising, we first learn it 
from the point of view of what the Buddha actually taught, what he, which is, you know, toward the 12 fold chain, towards suffering and then away from suffering. Then the next time we encounter dependent co-arising is with Nagarjuna, where he equated dependent co-arising and emptiness. They're looking at each other, remember? And then lately I've been hearing um, from teachers that I um, listen to that um, it's not really that things are dependent on something else, as if this is not one whole thing. So here's the thing that I didn't want to say. It's not that we're dependent on anything else or everything else. It is what we are. So if it, well, let's say we're dependent on water, right? We're dependent on the sun. We're dependent on the soil. We're dependent on, right, the food that we get from the soil. If you take those things away, we don't exist. So we're not dependent on them. We, that is what we are deeply, right? So I didn't want, I, I took that back. I didn't particularly want to get into it, but that is the way it is. We, you know, it's, it's the Tozon, it's the Tozon poem. It's the Tozon, remember the Tozon poem, right? He's walking across a bridge and he looks at, at a creek and he sees his reflection, it said. It's not that he sees his face reflected, is that he sees what he is as the stream the stream as himself, the bridge as himself, the tree as what he is, right? He says, I am not that. That is what I am, is what he says. So that's what I didn't say. <laughs> Thanks for the question. Thank you. Yeah. Nice to see you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hi. Uh, hi, I'm Jeff. Hi, Josh. Jeff. Jeff. Nice to see you again. Oh, my face is so familiar. I know him, right? Yeah, yeah. I know you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wonder if you could tell us how we might practice compassion and love towards the coronavirus. Toward the virus itself? Yeah. You know, that's easy. In a way, I mean, <laughs> from my point of view, you know, it's just another aspect of life. It's not an enemy. It's trying to do the same thing we're trying to do. You know, it's just that, no, <laughs> you know, we want to make a boundary so that we too can live. But it's the same thing as having compassion with the cow if we're going to eat hamburgers. You know, we kill cows to eat hamburgers, some of us do, I confess. You know, the coronavirus is eating us for a while and wants to live and have its babies or whatever it does, right? So it's no different than we are, you know? And um, yeah, it's no different than we are. We just have to make a boundary. It's the same way like, uh, you know, <laughs> somebody I'm very, very close to sent me a text last night that um, was, uh, um, let's see, difficult to receive, and um, it was inappropriate to make a boundary. So I appreciate this person. I love this person, actually, and I, and I, I don't exactly love the coronavirus, 
but I do appreciate their point of view. It's just that I want to make a boundary. So I made a boundary with this text. I don't want, don't text me today. <laughs> I'll talk to you tomorrow. That was my boundary. Same thing with the coronavirus. You know, we will do everything we possibly can to make a, a, real, a boundary, but not, it's not an enemy. It's just trying to do the best it can, just the way we all do. Thanks for your question. Hi, Tia. Jenny Lee. Jenny Lee, hi. Thank you for your talk. Thank you. I, um, I am having a hard time. I, um, I work with, uh, and, and very good friends with the people I work with who live in a nursing facility. Um, these are not necessarily older people, but people who have disabilities and underlying conditions that make them particularly vulnerable to this virus. And they live in a underfunded city-run facility. And I'm thank you. Hmm? Thank you. Well, well, th thank you. I'm. I don't actually. I'm actually banned from the facility right now because I'm not essential personnel. I run an arts and justice initiative, yeah. so we're doing our programming via Zoom as much as we can. Um, and I've been very caught up in just making sure everything is being kind of done and getting attention on this facility that you know, that whatever resources that are available are going to them and et cetera. Um, and there's been a little bit of a backlash from the facility who doesn't like any attention on them. And I've written the mayor and it's just been, I've been very consumed. Like it has not been a time of inward reflection for me these, this past week. It has been a time of being like obsessed and spinning and, you know, just very caught up in this, this work. And now I'm like, just now kind of sitting with how I'm feeling and, I'm terrified that like these, you know, these friends of mine, like that they're going to, there's going to, they're going to die. You know, that's, I guess that's, that's the fear. And, um, and I guess I'm not sure the best way for me to show up for them during this time. If I like continue to try and, I mean, I know everybody's, you know, in a struggle for, for resources and, yeah. yeah. Like, how do I show up for for these folks who are really, really a real threat of death and serious illness? Yeah. Um, you're not the only one who has that question. Social workers have the question. You know, doctors have that question. Many, many people who try to help have that question. And um, there is a response that I think is helpful. It's a little bit difficult, but it happens to be true which doesn't mean that we don't grieve if someone is hurt or dies. We do. But um, uh, I'm hesitating saying uh, only because it's hard to receive a little bit. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a fix, but it is the truth, okay? All right. So the way we're able to live in the world is we do our best you try your best you give your all okay now here's the thing because everything is dependently co-risen and empty the entire universe has brought us this situation and if we can deeply understand that we are able to let go and let the reality be whatever it is 
if we can't let go, we just burn out and spin and have no idea what to do because we can't fix it. We can't. Once we get to that place where you know you can't do any more than you have done, you let go. The universe is doing this. You let go. And then you grieve if that is what happens, if that's necessary. We can live that way. In that way, we have a chance to face what we have to face. Otherwise, it's impossible to continue. And people burn out. At some point, we have to let go. You do your best, and then you let go. You help people, and then you respect their karma. You respect it. You respect them and their karma, and you let go. Otherwise, we can't continue. Thank you. Thank you for what you do. Hello? Yes. Hi, Tia. I'm Thomas Moy. Um, Hello, Thomas. Came here out of recommendation from a good friend to uh, hear your talks. So I have a question. Um, so with my practice in the last few years, I've been finding myself surrendering more, I guess. And with the virus, I'm like, I'm finding myself not afraid if I pass away. It's just like an uh, acceptance of where it goes if it goes there. But it's not to say that I don't take the necessary precautions of not contracting, of course. And it's kind of odd because everyone around me is kind of freaking out and I'm just kind of indifferent about it. Um, and I'm confused. It's like, what is this no fear of death from the body? And it's, um, so I was thinking like, what is this? Um, I'm just very confused about this, these thoughts, I guess, these feelings that everyone is panicking around me and I'm just very much indifferent about it. You know, um, I spoke earlier about trying to address this panic mm -hmm. and this kind of future thinking and fear that people, so for them, I would suggest them coming back to the present moment. Right. I, I don't think anxiety and fear is a necessarily is an appropriate response. Mm -hmm. So I don't think you need to feel like the appropriate response is fear and anxiety and panic. No. Right. So in terms of your own feeling of, how did you characterize it? What was the word? It was a D word. Indifferent. Feeling indifference, I don't know you, so that I, this is just a guess. Oh. Feeling indifferent is also a kind of a survival strategy. Mm. Right? Because if you feel indifferent, then nothing can quite get to you. So you don't have to feel bad or anything or scared or whatever. So it's a kind of a protection thing. Right. Which is not a bad thing, you know, mm. our way, our way is to be awake, not to be any different. So if your strategy is to feel somewhat indifferent and you know that that's what you're doing because that's what you, that's the, your best way to keep going. Mm -hmm. Once you know that you're okay in my book. Mm. 
Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 All right. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> nice to see you smile. Hi, Tia. Hi. Thank you so much for your talk. I really appreciate it. I've been thinking a lot about what you said about the or um, about living in the moment and being present and not worrying about the future because it's this it's not real. We don't know it. But my question is about there are things that we do have to yeah. plan for, right? Absolutely. There are feelings that I, deep in my heart, I, I want, and I have this, and I, I, you know, and maybe I'm grasping for these things, but how do we, how do we reckon with those kinds of plans and, and letting go of those plans or, or how do we work towards? Yeah. Thank you for that question. I appreciate that question. Thank because you. That fills out the whole thing, right? So, you know, when you plan, you're in the present moment planning. You don't think that's real. You know, you may buy a plane ticket because you want to go to Algeria, but you're not really going to Algeria until you get on the plane. And it's, you don't even know if you're going even on the plane unless it lands there, right? <laughs> so you're making plans in the moment. It's appropriate to make plans, certain plans. Mm. You know, buying food for the week or getting whatever you think you want to get. It's just that we're not attached. We don't, you know, it's like Suzuki Roshi's book that I'm reading is called uh, Not Always So. It's the best attitude, right? In the present moment, you do every kind of planning that you think you need to do in the present moment. And then maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. Mm -hmm. We'll see. You know, great plan. I think that's really great. I hope you do uh, whatever it is, right? But we don't know. So in the present moment, you're planning. Mm -hmm. If you don't think that you're imagining a real future, because who knows? Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Thank you. It's so easy. It's so simple, really. <laughs> now, really, it's so true. You know, when you let go of the future and you're really present, life is very, very simple. It's not really complex or even almost difficult. Mm -hmm. It's just this. This is what category taught me. You do this completely. You're wholehearted 100% with the activity that you're doing. That's our, that's our way. And then you do the next thing. How much more simple can it be? That's all you can do. So plan away. <laughs> Just don't think, <laughs> don't think that, that that absolutely is going to be the future. And maybe, super, maybe not. Maybe something better. Maybe worse. <laughs> we don't know. Saying that don't know is very, um, it's our way. There's another thing that I didn't read, I don't think I read you. This uh, dialogue between a teacher and a student, and the student told the teacher, um, I'm leaving on pilgrimage. And the teacher said, Where are you going? And the student said, Well, what I was going to do is, uh, which I'm sure they didn't do. I'm sure they said, I don't know. <laughs> and the teacher said, not knowing is nearest. So this not knowing is really, really important for us. It is the way. 
not knowing is the closest. That is our practice for a long, long time. Okay, so go and plan. It's just maybe, maybe not. Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. What great people you guys have. <laughs> great. Hi, Tia. Hi. My name is Bianca. Bianca. Hi. Um, I think I'm having trouble actually tapping into the suffering of this moment. And uh, I think there's a lot of reasons for that, resistance among them. But I'm also seeing that I'm really hopeful for what this can do for us. Indeed. And uh, thanks. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm even thinking about really mundane things like how much less food might be wasted right now because we're all at, you know, a particular store in our, you know, in our kitchen. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I'm just wondering if you could talk about grasping hope and, or, or even faith. Like I just keep thinking, and I know you, you mentioned future thinking, but it's not in a negative light for me. Like I'm viewing it very positively, what this can do. And yeah, how, how to work with and be in relationship with hope and faith right now when it really feels abundant to me. That's fabulous. That's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. That's really wonderful. That's great. I would just, you know, say the same thing I said to um, Tom, Tom and Olivia. Same thing to Tom and Olivia. Hope away. You know, have, I mean, really, it's a great thing to do, especially if it makes you feel good. And and I think myself, some of those things are real. You know, Wuhan had the people in Wuhan for the first time heard birds because the sky is clear. You know, I mean, you don't wish suffering on anybody, and I would have preferred this not to happen, of course, but there are other possibilities you know, in them. It's, so hope, go, hope is wonderful. Just don't think that what you're hoping, don't attach. That's the key. Just don't attach. So if your hope doesn't come to fruition, you're disappointed, sorry, and then you let it go. So enjoy. You know, there plan I think there'll be an there's one thing that I think is gonna be really good happening from this <laughs> in terms of voting, you know, I, I'm hoping. And that might, you know, this might be one of the outcomes that I'm hopeful for, right? <laughs> so hope away. <laughs> Just don't be attached. New Yorkers are quite a breed, <laughs> I have to say. Cool people, don't you think? Hi, Tia, it's Camille. Hi, I see you. My question, it's not, it's not terribly complicated, I, I hope, but, um, uh, and thank you for your talk, by the way. Yesterday, I, I opened the window, uh, and, um, and I, it wasn't until the end of the day I realized that all day I was hearing uh, ambulance sirens. Um, it was very unusual and weird, but I somehow kind of, um, it didn't really uh, register mm -hmm. until, um, uh, you know, uh, late in the evening. Um, 
I think I do live uh, near a community that's, I think, a hotspot. Um, and it just registered, like, those, those sirens that were, like, just nonstop all day from, uh, I do the 7 a.m. Zazen with the community. So from that um, that point, wait until, wait, wait until the evening, just sirens going all day, all day. I'm sure if I open the window again, it will probably be the same. And um, I wasn't quite sure, like, what's, I felt uh, like doing something. <laughs> and I, but I wasn't sure what would be appropriate. Uh, should I, like, chant? Should I pray? Should I sit? I wasn't, I wasn't all sure. What this, all of those things. Okay. Whatever comes up in your heart, you should do. You should trust your heart. But it's but there's like this feeling that is it maybe is that enough? Is that you know can I is that enough if I sit and uh, if I just sat and and chanted, which is something that I enjoy. I enjoy sitting. I enjoy chanting. You know, but, you know, for some people that may be enough. For other people, it may not be enough. If you feel like it's not enough, then see online, or I, I guess only online because you're sequestered. Um, if there are things that you can do, maybe donations to that community if they're possible, or call elderly people in that community if that's a, you know if people need it, or um, sew things to send if that you know I don't know, but if there if you feel like you need to do something, then there may be things online that people suggest that you can find to do if you need to do something. Okay, all right, thank you. Yeah, and you know another thing just sharing it with everybody I think is I appreciate that you've done that because that suffering is real yeah and we can all feel that and that's appropriate yeah. thanks to you thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive for more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.